John chapter 17, if you turn there. Thank you so much. And um, I am thankful for a God whose ways are higher than ours, aren't you? Uh, you ever been one of those spots you say, Lord, I don't know what the Lord is doing, but I'm thankful that I know he loves me and I know he has a plan and uh, I'm thankful for it. John chapter 17, stand with me. I want to look at verses one through eight. This is part one, all right? And this is uh, the Lord's prayer. This truly, this passage of scripture is the Lord's prayer. Uh, you know, we'll often call and find the verses in Matthew chapter six and we'll call it the Lord's prayer. And that one was more of the disciples prayer. Uh, in that, in that prayer, you would see the Lord, the Lord would give that instruction to pray. Our father, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, well, the Lord didn't have any debts and he didn't have any debtors and he certainly didn't need forgiveness, did he? And, but he was given an outline on prayer for his disciples. It was the disciples prayer, but John chapter 17 this passage of scripture, the Lord begins to pray. Matter of fact, it says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes into heaven and said. And so we get, if you would, in these verses, God's prayer. It was God's prayer for the disciples who were present in the moment. It was God's prayer for those who would believe on him. And even here in these first few words here, it is the Lord as, as Jesus prays for his own need at this time. Look at verses 1 through 8, if you would. It says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for the scripture that you've given us this morning, that we could look to this passage of Scripture and we could see a prayer from the Lord Jesus Christ to his Father which is in heaven. Lord, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the privilege of preaching your word. But Lord, it's your word, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I pray that you would give me wisdom to say the things you'd have me to say, nothing less and nothing more. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to our hearts through the Scripture today. Lord, that you would teach us of your word, teach us of your son, teach us of this prayer. But Lord, give us that personal application that is needed in our heart that only the Holy Spirit of God can give. Work in our hearts this morning. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You ever, when I was a kid, there was a cartoon. <clears throat> I can't remember the name of the cartoon, but it, I think it had three characters in it, and they were archaeologists of a sort. They were just kids, but they would be find the sands of time, and they'd be caught up, and they'd go back to various scripture stories or various places in the Bible, various accounts, and they would get to live out just a little bit some of those things that happened. I've often thought of that when I thought of the scriptures, how, how awesome it would be to be able to go back from the outside looking in, certain, certain circumstances I wouldn't have wanted to be in. I would not have wanted to have been with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. An incredible thing to watch, to read about, to see, but I'm thankful God didn't let me experience the fiery furnace, all right? At least not that one. God gives us our own share of fiery furnaces without need to borrow from another. But uh, some incredible places I would love to have seen. I, I would have loved to have been there at creation. And uh, to see that, that moment when the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. A moment when there was nothing in existence but the God of heaven, and that God of heaven would speak a few words, and everything would begin to come into existence. It would have been incredible to see. 
we see creation as it is, but could you imagine to watch it form? To be able to be in various places, to see the incredible beauty of the Garden of Eden, a world without touched without, without sin there, to see its perfection and its beauty. To walk through the pages of Scripture, be there when God called Abram at the age of 70-some-odd years of age, when he would say, come with me, and I'll make of thee a great and mighty nation, and to watch Abraham leave, and to go journey into the, the promised land, and to be there when those plagues came upon Egypt as God delivered his people out of bondage, or to see the Red Sea parted see water come out of the rock when the people thought they would die of thirst or manna from heaven when they thought they were going to die from hunger. To watch God give them victories through the wilderness and, and show mercy even in their doubt. That they would come to the Jordan River and doubt God and not cross over, and yet God, though he would judge them and let them die in the wilderness, he would still provide for them for 40 years in the wilderness till their life was done. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? As he brought that next generation through that would trust him and see the Jordan River part and the walls of Jericho fall. And God worked time after time to be there when David went down to the valley of Elah and faced off against Goliath. Some incredible places of scripture and uh, we get to read about them. We don't get to see them. One day we'll get to speak with the folks that were there. And in this passage of scripture, though, these days, these chapters 14, 15, and 16, and then 17 to the end of the John, I would have loved to have been at that moment. To have been there with the Lord as he was in that upper room. It was a, just talk about an emotional roller coaster it must be to have been there. As the Lord sits down for that final last supper with his disciples and has that last supper with them and then tells them one of them is going to betray him and Judas would leave to go betray the Lord. The Lord would sit down and have these last few words with him. And though we don't get to be there, he does tell us what he says. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he, he has this conversation with them, and he goes from a conversation with them to a conversation with his father. Talk about a, a transition. I would have loved to have been in that moment. He's speaking with them, and he says this in chapter 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He concludes these words, and then he says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his, into, in, his eyes into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. He transitions from talking to his disciples and immediately lifts his eyes up, and he begins to pray. I would have loved to have been there. I would love to see what happened unfolded from there. Some of it would be sad. He would go into the garden, and of course there in the garden, his disciples would fall asleep, but the Lord would pray. Judas, the one who had gone out to pray, betray him, would bring his company of soldiers and the crowd with him, and they'd come through the garden, and the Lord would be betrayed. He would be betrayed. They would take him. Actually, he would allow himself to be taken. They would ask where Jesus of Nazareth was, and he would say, I am he. And John chapter 19 says they all fell over backwards. They would all fall over backwards. Of course, Judas would kiss that kiss of betrayal, and the Lord did it because he wasn't going to let them have any of his own. He would die, but he said, you can't have my own. I'm thankful God's always looking out for his people, amen? And so he would allow himself to be taken, that illegal trial. The God of heaven, the judge of the universe, the one who spoke it into existence, would allow himself to be led and allow himself to be lied about in that illegal trial at night. Be shipped off to Pilate and then from Pilate to Herod, back to Pilate, and they would lie about him. They would mock him. To mock him. King of kings, Lord of lords, and so they would mock him by placing a crown upon his head. But no man, no, no crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. Strip him naked in the common hall and beat him with the cat of nine tails, 39 stripes, till his flesh hung from his bones. They would robe him in purple, once again to mock him as some sort of king or royalty. 
and they would pluck out his beard to shame him. They would make him carry his cross, and then they would nail him to it and hang him upon it. Hearts broken, disciples fleeing, Peter denying him. He'd hang on that cross, and he'd say those words, it is finished, and he would give up the ghost. And then three days later, right, three days later, the sorrow they must have felt, but three days later, an empty tomb. Those angels standing there and saying, he is not here, for he is risen. Talk about going from what seemed normal in the upper room to the depths as their Savior is crucified to the heights of knowing he is arisen. All in a few short days. I would have loved to have seen it. But in this passage of Scripture, though we don't get to see it all unfold, we certainly get to read about it. In this passage of Scripture, we see the Lord, these first few verses, as the Son prays to the Father. Talk about an example. The Son of God would humble himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. And here we see his dependence upon his Father as he would cry out, Lord, help me in these final hours. Notice what he says. The first thing we see is the glory of the Son. He says in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy what? Thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. O now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He said he he knew something, that this moment, his hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He knew that he, as 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 God, uh, he was God, but as a man in the flesh, he knew that he would need the strength because his hour had come. This was the pinnacle of history. This was the moment that every other moment of human history led to. The Bible reminds us in Peter that before he had laid the foundations of the world, he had our plan of redemption in his mind. In other words, before God said those words, let there be light, he had this moment in mind, this hour in mind, that his son would be crucified. Every other moment led to this moment. As as he spoke this world into existence, as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, I think of how he would say to them, he, uh, he, say, he would speak of the seed of a woman, the first prophecy in Genesis 3.15 of the virgin-born Son of God, that the Satan would bruise his heel, but he would bruise Satan's head. As Jesus would defeat Satan at the Calvary and defeat him at the empty tomb. Every moment led to this moment. I think of those blood sacrifices of Cain brought his offering before the Lord, and his offering was of fruits and vegetables, and yet that was insufficient, and the Lord had already demonstrated that. Adam and Eve had tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves to cover the nakedness that they knew they had as a result of their sin, and God said, that's not enough. And so the Son of God, or the God performed the first blood sacrifice as he killed an animal and clothed them with skin. He would also perform the last sacrifice, wouldn't he, at Calvary when he would sacrifice himself for us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He began it and he finished it all. He did everything in between. He would prove it to Cain, and as Cain would bring his fruits and vegetables, and God would say, I don't want fruits and vegetables. I don't want this fruit of the ground. It is the blood sacrifice that must be completed, and Jesus would be that final blood sacrifice. He would paint a picture of it in the law. He would paint that picture as the demand was given that blood must be shed for sin, and sin has horrible consequences. The ceremonial law that would picture it, we see it in the tabernacle. 
The tabernacle of the Old Testament would sit in the middle of the people of Israel. The tribes laid out around it. It would have that fence around the tabernacle with one gate, didn't it? The eastern gate. And Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, if you were to go into the Holy of Holies, that holy place in the tabernacle, that was where the Shekinah glory and the presence of God dwelt. But you couldn't get there. Outside where the tribes were laid, that tribe that was laid out just outside of the gate, do you know which tribe it was? Judah. You know what Judah means? Praise. We enter into his courts with what? With praise. Even in the layout, as we come into his presence, you'd go through that eastern gate, that one gate, that picture that Jesus was the only way. You would find immediately there, you'd find that altar where the blood sacrifices were made, a picture that only by the blood of God could you ever have a hope of getting into the presence of God in the, in the Holy of Holies. Just beyond the altar, you'd find the, if you will, you'd find that brazen laver, that place of cleansing where the high priest, once when he entered into the priesthood, would bathe himself completely ceremonially. A picture, and then day to day, he'd wash his hands and his feet. A picture that, friend, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, there's only need for one cleansing. Once saved, always saved. We might pick up some dirt and grime from this world on our hands and feet, but God took care of all of our sin, and he cleanses us of our sin. You'd come to the tabernacle, and you'd enter into the first room. And what was in that first room, that holy place? There was the table of showbread. Jesus was the bread of life. There was the lampstand. He's the light of the world. Right before the Holy of Holies, there was the altar of incense. Well, friend, Jesus is the way of our prayer. He's the, one we, the reason we can pray, friend. That incense, a picture of the prayers going, of the saints going up before the Lord. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because of Jesus. You go into the Holy of Holies, or only the high priest once in his life, or once in the year could he enter into the Holy of Holies, and there was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant was a cup copy of God's law, the Ten Commandments. And what did that law declare? For all have sinned is what it declared. Because no man has ever kept that law. And no man deserved to be in the presence of God. But, in, but on top of the Ark of the Covenant in which the law laid was the mercy seat. The mercy seat was where the blood was sprinkled. And by the blood of Christ, we find the mercy of God. God had paid a picture. All of human history, the law, the ceremony, the, the sacrifices led to this moment. As the Lord said, the hour has come. The perfect sacrifice and it was meant to bring glory to the Son of God. It would reveal who he was. And he said in that verse, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. He had already revealed the glory of God's word. In verse 4, he said, I have glorified thee on earth. Well, how did he glorify him on earth? Look at verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy what? Thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them and have known surely that I am come unto thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word what? Was God. He had clearly revealed to them the Father, and he could clearly reveal to them the Son. And he had manifested the Lord in the words that he spoke unto them, and they believed what he said. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? The Word of God. 
I love what the Lord said in 1 Peter. He said, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He had manifested his word unto them. See, you can look at creation and you can see in the complexity of creation and the details of creation and you can see a demand. There is a designer, can't you? There is a creator. And uh, I mean, you, you cannot deny with any logic in your mind. I was talking to my son about this the other night and we were talking about this at the table. And, and I said this, I said, son, I said, if you were to look at my truck, you would say someone had to make it. Someone had to design it. Someone had to draw it up, and someone had to put it together. It didn't happen by accident. But I said, if you were to look at creation, so much more complexity. It is folly to say that nothing exploded into something, and by millions and billions of years, we all arrived. It is folly. Nothing else in life works that way. You can look at creation, and there is a demand for a designer. You can look at history, And you can see the providence of God. How is that tiny little nation in the Middle East still in existence? Pharaoh tried to destroy it. Babylon tried to destroy it. Hitler tried to destroy it. Stalin tried to wipe them out. And yet they are still there. Why? Because there's a God on the throne that said, those are my people. But in his word... We see his name. In his word, we see his name is Jesus. And he had manifested himself to his people and to those men that were with him. And he had shown his glory in his word. He showed his glory in his miracles. As he told them who he was, he would prove to them who he was. Peace be still. And creation became still. He spoke a few words and they threw their nets on the other side of the boat and the fish swam into the net. His control over creation. He would turn to some lepers and he would cleanse them, demonstrating his power over disease and the lame and the blind. And he would prove in his miracles who he was. He would prove who he was when he cast out demons, showing his power over demons and over the supernatural and the spiritual as he would cast them out. He would prove his his power over sin when he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. His glory had been on display and shortly he would give up his life. His glory was on display. You see the glory of his person. He spoke in this passage of scripture as if the cross was already over. He said, I have glorified thee on earth, in verse 4, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, in God's mind, Calvary was finished. Because he's the Alpha and Omega, he's the beginning and the end, he always has been and always will be. There would be no question who he was shortly. In his eye, the, the tomb was already empty, he knew what was coming, but it was done. I love the verses, he says this in Matthew 27, 50, Through 54, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. 
See, what took place at Calvary not only shown him, he had shown his glory in his word, he had shown his glory in the miracles, but this moment he was showing them exactly who he was and there could be no doubt. Surely this was the Son of God. Surely this was the Son of God. Matthew 28, 1 through 6, And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angels of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like night lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angels answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. There would be no question that this one who had faithfully declared the glory of God and himself in his word, this one who had faithfully proved who he was through the miracles, was now putting it on full display, the glory of God, in an empty tomb. See, they could beat him, but they couldn't, they couldn't completely beat him down. They could put him in a grave, but... The grave could not hold him. Sin could not keep him because he was the resurrection and the life. He is and was the Son of God. And he prayed, God, glorify me. The hour has come that for my own, these that have followed me, there there can be no question in their mind that I am who I said I am because they're going to see your work in my life. The glory of God. I love the verses in Philippians when he says this, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, they, they had seen the Savior who was born in a little manger in Bethlehem. They had seen him crucified, but they also saw him risen. There's coming a day, friend. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Of things in earth, that you and I, friend, will bow the knee and worship him. That's Pilate. That's Herod. That's the Sadducees. That's the Pharisees. That's the leaders of the world throughout all of history. You will see them bow their knee and worship him. That is those who have accepted them, and that is those who will spend eternity separated from him in hell. The lost will have to bow their knee and worship him and recognize him who he is. Of things in heaven, The angels of heaven will bow the knee and worship him as Lord. Of things under the earth, that is the demons and the devils of hell, will bow the knee and worship the Lord. There is no question his glory. And it was on full display at his resurrection. God, glorify me. The hour has come. And he prayed and knew because what had to take place was his glory would be seen and he knew he needed the strength of his father, the greatness of the son. Look at verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. The greatness of the Son. John three sixteen. You probably know it. If you know it, quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Corinthians said this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
the greatness of God, that he could offer eternal life to all. All flesh. All flesh was under his authority. Everything. You say, how could a God of heaven offer himself as the sacrifice for all? Only an infinite God could do that. Only a God who always had been and always would be. Only the God from whom all men, he created all men, and he was holy, and he could die for the sins of all men. I love the scripture in 1 John. It says in 1 John 2, 1 through 2, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the what? Whole world. He would die for the sins of the whole world. That he took my sin upon him, he took your sin upon him. He took the sins of the world upon him and he became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for you. I like to think of the verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the what? Shame. He took the shame of sin upon him. He took the sins of the world upon him. The greatness of God. Friend, if I die for my own sin and my own sinful condition, I will spend an eternity in a lake of fire forever for mine alone. But he took the sin of the world upon him because he is God. The greatness of God. The greatness of God. We see the greatness of his love. Verse again, if you look at verse 2 again, it says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This verse needs to be taken in line with a lot of other verses, including verse 12. Look at verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in thy name. Those that have ga- thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. But the son of who? Perdition. That's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas would betray his Lord. One of the saddest stories in all of Scripture was that a man could walk with the Lord for three years, could see the miracle of his healing over disease, his miracle of his power of casting out demons, his miracle of his power over nature, his miracles and his power to forgive sin, could see the wonders of the Lord and hear his word declared and still reject him. And yet for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave him a choice. You know, love demands choice, doesn't it? And God has been giving man a choice since the very beginning of the time. Before the foundation of the world, he had a plan. And that was Jesus. You ever ask yourself, why evil? Good we like, but why evil? Why judgment? the same time of mercy why righteousness and why sin why holiness why depravity choice right why a tree in the garden of eden choice god coerces no man into following him he had made a plan since the very beginning why would he allow satan and his pride to be lifted up and cast out of heaven. And why would he allow him to slither his way into the Garden of Eden? Choice. Why a garden? Choice. Because he said, I'm going to make Adam and Eve, and I'm going to make all of mankind, and I'm going to love them with all of my heart, but I want their love in return. And the only way love in return can be received is if I give them 
choice. So he presented them with a choice. Will you love me and follow me or will you reject me and turn from me? Why evil? Because he was good. And if you choose the opposite of good, you choose evil. Why sin? Because there was holiness. And the only way you can choose holiness is if there is an option and the other option is sin. God has given man a choice. He has had a plan of choice since the very beginning of time. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. He gave Judas a choice. He gave every man a choice. Why? Love. Love always offers choice. Hey, it was somewhere in 2007, in August, at Shawnee Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I was going up some steps, and my wife, not my wife at the time, was coming down. And I knew her, I knew who she was, and we started talking. Then the service started. I was on one end of the balcony. She was on the other end of the balcony. I'm pretty sure she was watching me the whole time, all right? Because I know I didn't get anything out of the message. I was watching her from the other end, all right? We, that, when, that Sunday night, I showed up at church, and the first thing I did was talk to her dad. Could I talk to your daughter? And for some reason, he said yes. He may regret it now. I don't know, but he's in trouble. And so I, that night, I stayed in the service, and we went out for pizza afterward, and I asked her out, and we started dating. It was in August. A few weeks later... Was coming up sometimes. Coming up, she's getting ready to head back to college. She's going to be embarrassed. I'm going to embarrass my wife, all right? And so I'll be in trouble, all right? But we were heading back, and she was just, I think it was that weekend or the next week, she was going back to school. And I was getting ready. To, I knew she was going, and I knew there was going to be other guys there. And I was like, look, the other guys better not be after my wife. There's going to be battle, all right? And, uh, and so I was going to ask her, you know, if she would officially be mine, those awkward moments, right? And so, but instead, she was she got ahead of herself. All right. She, my wife's not a patient person. I'm not a patient person, but she has even less than I have. All right. So she looks at me and so I'm about to go to college. What am I supposed to call you? I was like, well, you were supposed to wait till I asked you that. All right. You're supposed to wait around. Okay. But she didn't. All right. I said, well, awkwardly, I guess you could say I'm your boyfriend or whatever. I you know, whatever it's awkward. All right. So it was, in November, it was just a few months later. This was in August. That was just before she went back that I went down for fine arts. And through a series of events, I said, I knew I loved this lady, but I couldn't tell her. So she came back in November, and it was outside of the house, on the driveway, and I told her, I love you. And she said back to me, I love you. All right. So about another month later, it was, it was determined already that. We already knew each other well enough that we knew there wasn't any obstacles. And I said, well, if I love her, I'm going to have to ask this girl to marry me. All right. So that December 24th, I asked her, will you marry me? And you know what? I've said it before. She told me to shut up the first time. Very unkind. All right. And, uh, but it was a different kind of shut up. And she said, yes. She said, yes, she'd marry me. About a year later in Terre Haute at Bible Baptist Church, she walked down the aisle and said, I do. Choice. See, I loved her, and so I offered her the choice, right? I offered her the choice. Would you spend the rest of your life with me? Good times and bad, loss and gain, all of them, because I loved her. Why does God offer choice? Because he loves us. One of the great problems with the false doctrine of Calvinism is that it is a doctrine without love, and God is love. God doesn't coerce people into being his and saying, you have no choice because I've chosen you, you are mine. And he does not sentence someone forever to be separated from him in a lake of fire because it is absent of choice, and God is love. The greatness of God was on display. His ability to sacrifice himself and his love for the world. That the one who had been glorified 
would also be humbled. The God of this world would take 39 stripes across his back and a crown of thorns upon his head and be stripped naked in the common hall and his beard plucked out to shame him and nails through his hands and through his feet, spit in his face and mocked his name because he loved us. And he was going to die for our sin. And he provided us with choice. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The love of God was on full display. This was the pinnacle of history. This was the moment that the glory of God would be with the greatness of God and be on display for all of history. That the God of this world that sin could not contain and the grave could not hold him, his greatness and his glory is that tomb emptied out, but also the love of God that a God who was so great would humble himself and become so small to die on a cross and rise again three days later that we might be saved. The greatness of God was on display. His glory, his greatness... And his graciousness. Look at verse 3. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee. The only true God. And Jesus Christ. Whom thou hast sent. What is salvation? Is it an escape from hell? Yes. Is it the gain of heaven? Yes. But those are the benefits. Of a relationship. With God. See, there was a problem that entered in the world all the way back there in that Garden of Eden. That problem was when sin entered in the world, man's relationship with God was broken. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The moment of salvation, the moment of birth, physical birth in this world, there is a great gulf betwixt, betwixt a man and his God, and the gulf is sin. And for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how much you try to work up making up that gulf. You cannot make up that gulf on your own. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That is a gulf too large for your ability to make up. And God said, but I want to know that person who is separated from me by their iniquity and their sin, that one that I have loved with all of my heart, that one that I spoke into existence, I want to know them. I want to have a relationship with them like I had with Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. I want it. And so he would send his son to die on the cross and to pay the debt of our sin, not only that we might have the hope of heaven, but we might know what it is like to have a personal relationship with the God who made us, that that Holy Spirit of God would move in and take up residence in the heart of a Christian, and as we opened up his word, he would speak to our heart. As we bow the knee in prayer, he would hear from us that we would, might know what it's like to have a personal relationship with the God of heaven. He said, my graciousness, the graciousness of God was on full display that he would even be bothered with you and I. Remember how the Psalms has said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why are we even on your mind? With a word you could, with a word you could speak this world into existence and hang the stars in the sky, the moon, all of creation. And yet, for some reason, you care about this guy who's at Grace Baptist Church on a Sunday morning 
and you want to talk to me, and you want to hear from me, and you want to know me and have a relationship with me, and you want it so bad because you love me so much that you would send your son to die for me. The graciousness of God on full display. Friend, here's the Lord, and he's in prayer because he knew. We see his humility here. We see the deity of God and that he was the son of God, but we also see his humanity that he would call upon his father for help and aid because he knew. He knew the hour had arrived. That his glory would be on display, his greatness would be on display, and his graciousness would be on display. I would ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? I'm not asking you, do you know about him? Do you know him? He didn't come so you could just know about him. He came so you could know him. So you could walk with him, spend time with him, and hear from him. That he could guide your steps as you go through your day. You could walk with him as word and spend time with him prayer that you could stay in tune with him as you live out your day, seeking his will as you go through the regular routine of life the graciousness of god is that he would be interested in my life all because he loved me the call for you that don't know him is heaven is real hell is real and there's a god who loves you and wants you to know him do you know him the call for those of us that are saved is friend how are you walking with him are you spending time with him? Is he guiding your day and your life that the God of heaven cares about me is an amazing thing. He cares about you is an amazing thing. So let me ask you, do you care about him? If he cared enough for you, that he would leave the throne of heaven and die on an old rugged cross and rise again that we might be saved and have a relationship with him. Do you have a care enough for him that you would pay attention to him with your life? Probably one of the saddest stories for a lost person is that they care not about the one who cared so much for him that they would trust in him. And the sad story of a Christian is that they would not care enough for the Lord who died for him to walk with him in their life. That rather than living the victorious Christian life, walking with God, we would speed through our life as if he didn't exist and only pay attention to him when the service time came around. That is the sad story of many a Christian's life. That we would lay out our plans and our course and our future without consulting the one who gave his life for us at Calvary. The sad story of a Christian. And yet in this passage of Scripture... We see he loved us anyway. He loves me anyway. Here's the Lord. He gives some final words of instructions in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. They were unbroken words with his disciples. We have them broken by chapter and verse references. But it was a conversation. He's about to, be, to go down to the garden and pray and then be led away to be crucified. As he finishes this conversation, he lifts his eyes up into glory and says, Father, glorify me. Let me glorify you through what's about to happen and let the world see the glory of the Lord. 
especially my own. Or let them see the greatness of God in my life, that I have the power to grant forgiveness of sin and to show the love of God. Surely let them see the graciousness of God, the God of heaven would desire to know us and for us to know him. Calvary on full display. Every moment before that moment led up to that one. And every moment since has been impacted by that one. I can look over my, into the history and see what God did for me. And it looks for me, makes me look toward the future and knowing that I'm going to see him soon. Are you walking in the graciousness of God? A relationship with him. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you for what you've done for us. I'm thankful for the word of God. What a book. Thank you for giving us a glimpse into this moment that you had with your disciples, but it wasn't just meant for them or you wouldn't have had it recorded here for us. It was meant to impact our life even today that we might see your glory, your greatness, and your graciousness in our life. Lord, I pray that we would walk with the Lord this week. We would consult the God of heaven. We would lean on the God of heaven because you desired for us to know you, that we might know what it's like to have a relationship with God. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Can I ask you this morning, do you know him? Once again, I'm not asking you to know about him. It's one thing to know about someone. It's another thing to know them personally. Was there a time in your life when you trusted Christ? I'm not asking you if you've been taught about him. I'm asking you, was there a moment when you put your trust in him? That you had the faith in your heart that produced the call with your lips, God, forgive me for my sin. I accept you as my Savior. It may not have been those exact words, but you could say, preacher, I know that I'm saved. Because I have put my place, my trust in him, and I have called upon his name, and I can look at my life at the moment that I trusted Christ. You may not exact know the exact date or the exact time, but you say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved because I know him. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand as a testimony between you and I and the Lord? Thank you. You may put your hand down. Is there anybody who say, Preacher, I'm unsure of that, but I want to know it today. I don't have a time and a place. Maybe you know about him and you've heard the gospel story before. You've heard what Jesus did for you before. But you couldn't look back and say, this is the time. You couldn't say, this is when I trusted Christ. I want it settled for me today. I want to know Christ as my Savior. Would you raise your hand? Is there anybody like that? You say, preacher, would you pray for me? I want to know Christ. Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you would say, preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart? Maybe it's a reminder. It's a powerful thing to be reminded of God's glory, his greatness, his graciousness. It ought to impact every moment of our everyday But you would say, preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart this morning. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? Would you stand with me as the pianist begins to play? Why don't you do business with the Lord? The altar's open and...